Hey, what is up, Mets fans, and welcome back to another series recap episode of the Mets Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Cutajar, and we're diving into the Mets sweep of the Marlins. Alright, and welcome back to another series recap and review episode of the Mets Talk Podcast. Like I just said, I'm your host Greg Cutajar, and I can't wait to get back into talking about the New York Mets. So yesterday, the Mets finished off a series sweep of the Miami Marlins in Miami. It was a really nice series, the Mets had really great pitching and some really nice offense in these in these three games. So I'm really excited to dive into each one of those. In the first half, I'm going to break down each game, looking at the pitching and hitting performances as usual. And then in the second half, I want to dive into the Mets' move last week for Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal from the Cincinnati Reds, as well as some rumors that have been surrounding the team as the trade deadline quickly approaches. The deadline is tomorrow, a little over 24 hours away, so... Very exciting time in baseball. But first, I want to start with some game breakdown. Starting with Game 1 on Friday night, the Mets won this game 6-4 against the Marlins. This was a pretty close game. The Mets were up against Sandy Alcantara, who is, I mean, one of the best pitchers in the entire league. And the Mets have faced him every series, I believe. I said this last last uh, episode the Mets have faced him every series that they've played the Marlins and so they've gotten used to him and they were able to come out on top in this battle on the mound for the Mets was Chris Bassett he pitched six innings he gave up six hits four runs four walks two strikeouts he had some trouble in this game to be honest there was uh, some difficulty for him in the first some hits against the shift that ultimately allowed a three spot to happen in the first he also dealt with some walks Uh, Like I said, you know, four walks in this game, so definitely had some trouble with command, but he was able to battle through, persevere. He was able to get through the last four innings that he pitched unscathed, which I think, you know, it's just a really nice job by him battling back after having the, the tough first inning and second inning. And in the second inning, the the run scored off of a double play. So he was able to, you know, minimize damage in that inning. But after that, in the third, you know, worked out of trouble there. In the fourth, again, Worked out of trouble with a hit-by-pitch. In the fifth, he had a nice 1-2-3 inning. And then the sixth inning, his final inning, he gave up two singles to start off the bottom of the sixth inning. Two on, no out. The game was tied at this point, but got a fly out and then a double play to end his day. So a really nice job by Bassett to take what was starting to look like not a great start at all and turning it into a really solid outing. Behind him, the bullpen did a really nice job. Adam Anavino came in. He pitched an inning, gave up one hit, no runs, no walks, and had two strikeouts. He's been great, so, you know, nice for him. And that was in a seventh inning spot, so a little earlier than he has been. But the Mets went, Buck went, and did something a little differently. He put Trevor Williams in the eighth inning, and he shined in that spot as well. He pitched an inning, and he gave up no hits, runs, or walks, and he struck out one batter. Really nice to see Williams being able to succeed in that spot, in that eighth inning role. Um, The Mets had just taken the lead in that eighth inning, so really huge for him to hold it there. And then Edwin Diaz came in. I mean, this might have been his most dominant outing that he's had all season long. He pitched an inning, gave up no hits, runs, or walks, three strikeouts on 10 pitches. He came one little foul ball away from an immaculate inning. I mean, there's no real words to describe it there. He was outstanding. He was dominant, and he picked up his 23rd save of the year there. So, you know, overall, Really nice job by this pitching staff. 
Turning to the offense, the Mets offense did an amazing job against one of, like I said, the best pitchers in the league. They started out down 3 nothing after the first inning, but were able to battle back in the second inning. Starling Marte had a huge game in this game. He went 3-for-5 with three runs batted in, but there were a bunch of guys on this team who really came in clutch. Brandon Nimmo went 2-for-5 with three runs batted in and a huge two-run homer in the eighth inning. Daniel Vogelbach went two for four. He's been great for the Mets so far. Francisco Lindor, who had a really great series overall, went one for two. And he had three walks, so he was on base a bunch. And everyone in the starting lineup had a hit in this game outside of Pete Giorme and Tomas Nito. So a really nice job spreading the love around. A bunch of guys getting in there and helping out this team. Like I said, Starling Marte really had a huge game, but the scoring started for the Mets in the second inning. Like I said, down 3-0 early. After a Canna double and a Nito walk with two outs, Nimmo doubled the deep center, scoring a run, and then Marte tripled, tying the game right back up 3-3. Then, after the Mets were down 4-3, after the double play that scored a run that I mentioned earlier, Marte hit a homer to center field. He was... At this point, 3-for-3 on the game in the fourth inning and just a double shy of the cycle. Unfortunately, he didn't get to, to finish off the cycle, but I mean a huge game for him and a clutch home run there to tie it right back up. Still off of Alcantara. All of these runs so far off of Alcantara. The game was tied at 4-4 all the way until the eighth inning when... Nimmo hit a two-run shot to right field, giving the Mets the lead. He was fired up. The team was fired up. I mean, he has been slumping. And, you know, Francisco Lindor said it in his postgame uh, after Saturday's game that he didn't even really notice Nimmo was slumping. And I have to admit, I knew he was slumping. But like Lindor said, you didn't really notice it. So, I mean, it just shows how how well he grinds out his at-bats, how hard he's working, and you could just see in his reaction to that home run how huge of a hit that was for him. And it was a huge hit for the Mets because it gave them the lead and ultimately gave them the Game 1 win. Moving on to Game 2, this was just a, a really awesome game from the Mets. They won 4 nothing, and it was it was all Mets, essentially, in this game. On the mound for the Mets was Carlos Carrasco. He pitched seven and two-thirds innings, gave up four hits, no runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. I mean, he was dominant, a, a scoreless seven and two-thirds. He was almost able to to complete eight innings, but unfortunately gave up a, a double with two outs. But, I mean, he was outstanding in this game notched his 100th win for his career, and I mean, gave the Mets everything they could have needed. You know, after Diaz had pitched the day before, and, you know, Adovino, Williams, Diaz, the Mets had, had used a bunch of bullpen guys in Game 1. It was really nice for Carrasco to go into the 8th inning, almost complete 8 innings, and really preserve the bullpen, and just have an outstanding shutout performance. And behind him, Seth Lugo did an awesome job. He pitched an inning and a third, gave up no hits, runs, or walks, didn't have any strikeouts, but, I mean, just shut the Marlins down. That one out he got in the eighth inning actually was Tomas Nito picking off Charles LeBlanc, who was at second base after the doubles. So the Mets got the out there in that eighth inning via the pickoff with Nito, and then Seth Lugo shut down the Marlins in the ninth inning. An awesome job by this pitching staff recording another shutout. I mean, they've been outstanding all season, and Carrasco and Lugo had a huge day.
Turning to the offense, while the Mets didn't score as many runs as they did in the first game, they still had a really nice game, and like I said, it was all Mets on offense. The player of the game has to be Francisco Lindor. He went 3-for-4 with two runs batted in. J.D. Davis also hit a solo shot in the eighth inning, adding on an insurance run, which was huge, and Jeff McNeil went 2-for-4. He had a huge, just like Nimmo, slump-breaking home run to put the Mets up early. The scoring for the Mets in this game started in the third inning. McNeil hit his solo shot to put the Mets up 1-0. He similarly was very excited. He has been slumping recently. You know, Lindor joked about it, but you can tell a little more than Nimmo when, when McNeil's slumping because he'll let you hear it and he'll let you see it with his his emotions but he hit that home run he was pumped up the guys gave him the silent treatment it was really funny it was really awesome so the Mets were up one nothing early and then later in that inning Lindor hit a single adding on another run putting the Mets up two nothing that that score would hold all the way until the eighth inning so it was a pretty close game two nothing but Lindor hit a solo shot and then two batters later Davis hit a solo shot putting the Mets up four nothing some huge insurance runs late in the game and Lindor said it you know this was big because it allowed the Mets to keep Diaz out of the game and save him for the next game in Game 3. The Mets ultimately didn't need Diaz in Game 3, but it was big to protect Diaz in that situation and to add those insurance runs so they didn't have to go and use more of the bullpen than they needed to. And then finally, Game 3, the Mets won 9-3 in this game. It was an offensive onslaught. The Mets recorded 19 hits, the most they've had in a game this season. So just a really nice job by the offense. And pitching-wise, the Mets had a really nice game in this one as well. Because on the mound for the Mets was Taiwan Walker. He pitched 5 and 2 thirds innings, gave up 7 hits, 3 runs, 2 walks, 4 strikeouts. His His... Outing got a little shakier towards the end when he gave up a run in the fifth and then two runs in the sixth, but overall had a really nice outing, and he's been huge for the Mets this season. After Walker, Tommy Hunter came in to finish off the sixth inning. He pitched just a third of an inning. He gave up one hit, no runs, no walks, one strikeout. He was only in to get one out, but he did his job in this game, and he's done a really nice job all season so far. Behind Hunter, Steven Nagosik, who is back up with the Mets, pitched two innings, and he had a really nice two innings of work. He he gave up two hits, no runs, no walks, four strikeouts. So, you know, four of his six outs were strikeouts. Really nice job by Nagosik, who, similar to Hunter, has been a really nice piece of this bullpen. And following Nagosik, another guy who's been another really nice piece of this bullpen, Yoan Lopez, he pitched the final inning. One inning, no hits, runs, one walk, no strikeouts. I mean, all three of these guys are sort of the epitome of people that you know, the Mets probably weren't thinking about, you know, heading into the season of being big contributors in the bullpen. Hunter, Nagosik, Lopez, all three of them have been great for the Mets so far this year and showed it off in this game with three and a third scoreless innings from them. On the offensive side, like I mentioned, the Mets had quite the day at the plate. The Mets, every starter in the lineup had a hit and every starter outside of Brandon Nimmo and Tyler Naquin had more than one hit. So, so Alonzo, Vogelbach, Guillaume, and Mazika each had two hits, and Lindor, McNeil, and Canna each had three hits. Lindor, Alonzo, McNeil, and Naquin each drove in a run, and Nimmo and Mark Hanna each drove in two runs. You know, the Mets did a really nice job in this game, jumping on Pablo Lopez, another one of Miami's top starters and a really great starter in this game. Early with an Alonzo double, a McNeil single, and a Canna single in the first to drive home three runs and also 
knock five hits right away. But, you know, they didn't stop there. In the third inning, they drove home three more runs. Tyler Nakewin getting his first hit as a Met, a triple to center, and then a Canna single and a Nimmo single driving home three more runs in this third inning. As the as the game went on, two fielders' choices and a single from Lindor added on three more runs, putting the Mets up nine at that point, nine to three. I mean, this game showed how the Mets have really operated this year. No home runs in this game. They they drove 19 hits. They scored nine runs. I mean, it was just all Mets, like I said, and just really the epitome of a Mets game this season. So just a really nice job in this game overall by the offense. The pitching did a great job as well, like I said. And this entire series, great pitching, good and timely hitting, and it resulted in a Mets sweep. So now that I've gone over these three games, I want to dive into the trade that brought Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal to the Mets. I mean, I just I just mentioned some of the the impact that Tyler Naquin has already had on this team. And then I also want to dive into some rumors as the trade deadline gets closer. All right, and welcome back. So now that I've gone over the Miami series, and, you know, I just want to say that was just a really nice series there. You know, I feel like the Mets were just playing, you know, sound baseball. You had good starting pitching, good relief pitching behind them. You had the bats coming through. You know, it it really felt like the past few months there there's been shakiness in all of those areas. And, you know, obviously this is one series, but it was really nice to see them playing you know, complimentary baseball all around. So I just wanted to say that about this Miami series. But now, now that I've gone over that series, I want to dive into the move that the Mets made last week on Thursday. They traded for outfielder Tyler Naquin and left-handed pitcher, left-handed relief pitcher Philip Deal from the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for two minor leaguers, outfielder Hector Rodriguez and right-handed pitcher Jose Acuna. So, Obviously, this wasn't, you know, a headline-grabbing move, wasn't, you know, a big, big name being traded, but, you know, I feel like I'm going to get into my breakdown of this trade, but I feel like this was a nice depth move. So, you know, starting with Tyler Naquin, this season, he's slashing 240, 297, 439 for a 736 OPS, which is good for a 97 OPS plus, you know, a little below average, and it's it's a pretty average uh you know, OPS. He has seven home runs this year and 34 runs batted in, but he has hit as many as 19 home runs. Last year, he did so in 2021. Like Vogelbach, he hits right-handed pitching very well. He has a 260, 327, 473 slash with an 801 OPS and five homers against right-handers. So, you know, Naquin as a left-handed bat is solid against right-handers. And, you know, is having a pretty, you know, decent year this year. So the Mets picked up Naquin, and they also picked up Philip Deal from the Reds. He's a lefty relief pitcher. He only had five appearances this year, and he didn't really have a great time in the majors. He had an 11.12 ERA in those five appearances and a 1.941 whip. The Mets option deal right away to AAA, so that's where he is. But, you know, just getting into this move as a whole, I like it, like I said, as a depth move. I think that, you know, just looking at deal, first of all, you know, that's further depth for this bullpen. And, you know, as a lefty reliever, that's exactly where, you know, last episode I talked about the Mets have struggled in their bullpen. So, you know, picking up a lefty guy who has potential and and keeping him in AAA to work out some some of the 
Kingsey might have in his game or might have been dealing with when he was up with Cincinnati, you know, can only help the Mets. And, and having him there, keeping him down in the minors and bringing him up, assume I'm going to assume bringing him up when need be is is big. And, you know, I think that is a nice move. And then looking at Naquin, who really is the kind of the headliner of this deal, because, you know, he's been in the majors for a couple of years. He's he's a known player. I like it as an added bat to the bench. It, the original reports of acquiring Naquin was that it would help get Guillaume more time. So from that, you can assume what the, the idea or the thought behind bringing in Naquin was, is that since Naquin hits righties well, and Escobar, who's the Mets third baseman, has been struggling from his left side, so he's struggled against righties, and he's done Escobar's done really well against lefties. The thought is is that against righty pitchers, you put Naquin in the outfield, you keep McNeil at second base where, you know, he's really good, and you put Guillaume at third base, another lefty. So now instead of, you know, putting McNeil in left field to replace Canna, a right-handed bat, and put Guillaume at second base, you now can put Guillaume at third base, McNeil at second base, and Naquin in the outfield, and that, you know, really gives the Mets a strong left-handed lineup, and it gets guys who are good against righties in the lineup, and it also ensures that Escobar will primarily bat from his stronger side, that'll hopefully help him, you know, get him going as well. And, you know, I kind of like that idea. I mean, it might not be the most necessary move, but it's a strong depth move. It's a strong bench move. It's ensuring that your bench got stronger because, you know, unfortunately with this move, Travis Jankowski was DFA'd to make room for Naquin. And, you know, as much as I love Jankowski, I thought he was a great, great team guy and, um, I thought his speed provided a lot of, of versatility for the Mets. But what you're getting with Naquin is sort of a a, a Jankowski-like player because Naquin brings a lot of speed. A Jankowski-like player who, frankly, has better numbers at the plate than Jankowski has this year. I mean, a 736 OPS on the year for Naquin, that's a lot better than Jankowski's 452 OPS so far this season. And you know, while obviously 736 OPS isn't exactly, you know, a bolded stat on baseball reference or anything, it is an upgrade and it, it, it provides a guy who can similarly be your quick guy on the bases and can give you a little bit more at the plate. So I do think this is a nice move. I think it you know, I, I'm not expecting this to be, you know, this and the Vogelbach move. I'm not expecting them to be the only moves the Mets make, although, you know, it is getting a little close to the deadline, but, you know, that's how these things work. But I like that the Mets are, you know, making some of these smaller moves because bench and and depth moves are extremely important when you're going for a World Series. You know, you have to have those guys who can step in, some those guys you can trust to to be productive as these games down the stretch start getting going. You're going to need everyone to be coming in and being productive. So, uh, so I like these moves that the Mets have made so far, but they're still the Mets are still involved in a number of rumors, you know, as the deadline approaches tomorrow, it, lots of rumors have been flying around. Josh Hader just got traded, you know, as right before I was recording this. So, you know, moves are some bigger moves are starting to be made. But, you know, 
in terms of the Mets, apparently I, I talked about Wilson Contreras and David Robertson last episode, and apparently the ask for players like Contreras are extremely high, but the Mets aren't giving in there. So that's where there might not be as much positive movement there as originally thought. But, you know, I kind of like that because last year the Mets gave up Pete Crow Armstrong, who is one of their top rated prospects for half of a year of Javi Baez and Trevor Williams. Now, you know, that being said, Trevor Williams, as I said earlier in the first half, has has been outstanding for the Mets this year. But Javi Baez was only with the Mets for, for half of a season. And it appears that, you know, the Cubs are sort of looking at the Mets and saying, hey, we want some more of your top guys because you gave us your top guys last year. And the Mets, you know, new front office, they're saying, no, that's that's not going to be the case. And I like that because to produce sustained success, you need to hang on to your top guys. And giving them up for a rental player like Contreras is not going to really help this team too much in the future, especially if you feel that those top prospects like Mark Vientos, who's having a great year for the Mets in AAA, you know, you feel that maybe he could come up and help if you're not able to find your DH or impact bat uh, on the trade market. One of the other major rumors that's been flying around has been the Mets connection to JD Martinez and Christian Vasquez of the Red Sox. Vasquez is their catcher. He's having a really nice offensive season this year. And JD Martinez, as I talked about last episode, is a professional hitter, a a true DH. And both of them would be, I think, would be very welcome pieces to this Mets lineup. Um, like I said, Martinez is having a really nice year this year. He was an all-star. He is an experienced and professional bat. And Vasquez is a really solid catcher with good offensive production who would definitely be an upgrade over James McCann and Tomas Nito in terms of hitting out of the catcher spot. He also has good postseason success last year, hitting a walk-off homer in the playoffs for the Red Sox. So, you know, obviously don't know what is going to happen in terms of the Mets' connection to the Red Sox. There are rumors that Dom Smith could be involved in a trade there, but obviously we won't know until it happens, though it is really exciting to see all these rumors. And, you know, with a little over 24 hours left, it's going to be really interesting to see how this deadline shakes out. So looking ahead to the Mets' upcoming series, the Mets are traveling to Washington from Miami to take on the Nationals. Tonight's game, it will be Max Scherzer up against Patrick Corbin, who is 4-14 with a 6-4-9 ERA. Then tomorrow night is the highly anticipated 2022 debut of Jacob deGrom. He will be taking on Corey Abbott, who is 0-0 with a 2-2-5 ERA. I mean, that game is going to be extremely exciting to watch. Jacob deGrom finally back on the Major League bump. And then finishing off this series on Wednesday, it will be Chris Bassett taking on Anibal Sanchez, who is 0-3 with a 7-4-7 ERA. I mean... Like I mentioned, the biggest storyline coming out of this game is Jacob DeGrom, especially following up Max Scherzer. So you have Scherzer and then DeGrom going back to back. You know, that's the dream. That was the dream heading into the season. And and it's finally, you know, scheduled to take place this these next two games. So very exciting there. I mean, looking at the bigger picture, obviously the Nationals are a team that have struggled all season long. 
They are 35 and 68, so they've had trouble all season. And, you know, these are games the Mets really need to win, especially with Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom and Chris Bassett going three in a row. The thing is, the Mets have a big five game series coming up this weekend against the Atlanta Braves. And you can't let the prospect of that big series, that impactful series, get in the way of the task at hand, which is the Washington Nationals. You know, I always say this before before series against teams that are are having trouble in 2022 is the Mets can't lose sight of the team they're playing. They need to, you know, make sure they're on their game playing the best they can against the Nationals because, you know, if you're looking ahead and looking at the series coming up, you can easily cough up a game or two here and that would be extremely detrimental especially with that big series coming up. So, Heading into the series, a big divisional series, obviously, and need to stay on their game, especially with the exciting return of Jacob deGrom. So that is going to be all for this episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I love interacting with other Mets and baseball fans. And you can reach me at my Twitter, at PodMets. Tweet me your thoughts about the Mets, about baseball. I love talking about the sport. So I'd love to hear from you all on Twitter, at PodMets. Once again, thank you all so much for listening. And as always, let's go Mets.